0: Hello and welcome to another episode of What Comes Next, a show all about the technologies that will shape your future. I'm Rob Kellner.
1: I'm Amy Dickens.
0: And I'm Kwaku akon On this episode of What Comes Next, we're speaking to Maria collid Cedar, founder and CEO of Winning Minds. Winning Minds has developed a conversational analysis platform. So essentially it analyzes the recording of a meeting or a sales call and by looking at the fluctuation in people's voices can determine things like how engaged someone is, what their emotional state might be and even whether they're suffering from an emotional overload. The idea is that businesses can then take Winning Minds data and use it to make teams and their interactions much more efficient. It turns out this kind of analysis is incredibly useful to businesses and valuable too. According to Harvard Business Review, dysfunctional meetings cost US and UK businesses an astonishing $407 billion a year. Yes, $407 billion a year. Here's the absolutely fascinating discussion we had with Maria, and remember to check out the show notes for more information about the topics we've discussed. Maria, welcome to What Comes Next. Thank you very much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: It sounds like you've been through a, a really busy period. Is, um, did you have time to rest over the, the festive break, or is, is there no end in sight?
2: Uh, well, if investors are going to listen to that, probably I should say no. <laughs> no, no, I didn't have the time to to, listen, to to get some rest or anything. Oh, sorry. But it's a busy time raising money and everything and Wrapping yeah. so... It hasn't been easy, <laughs> but it
0: sounds like you've been some really exciting, uh, really exciting time. You said uh, you mentioned fundraising, obviously, I imagine there's some technological developments as well, which we're going to talk about. Um, so, so all good news, I hope.
2: Uh, yes, we try to make it good news, especially from the development aspect of the technology. Um, we build some very good things, and the team also is is great. So we also have a good time. Uh, fundraising is always a stressful period, anyway. So sure, I can't say much about that. <laughs> <laughs> Two jobs
3: at once, right? Yes. Running a company yes and fundraising, in yeah. one
2: person, yes.
3: Tell me about the, the team at the moment. How many um, developers do you have working with you, both in London and in mm, Canada, right? Yes,
2: Montreal, Canada. Uh-huh. So we are in uh, total, we're around 10 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much seven of them are the developers. And uh, we have the AI team in uh, Montreal, Canada because of the AI hub and the skills. We have found amazing skills, I think, to build the next wave of AI, and we are happy with that.
0: Yeah, we were talking about before about how Montreal's become this real hub for, mm. for AI. Why do you think that is?
2: Many reasons. They have, uh, first of all, they have many universities, mm. uh, and it's um, they're kind of sophisticated, and they like education, and they like to know what they're talking about, in fact. And uh, the other thing is because of uh, the province and the government, they have lots of grants as well for research. They understand that, especially AI, it's at the beginning of its journey, so you need a lot of time and money to do the research, something that you will not get from from, uh, investors' money, for example, right? And then you have the big names like uh, Joshua Bengio and the research institutes like Mila uh, and the University of Quebec, McGill, but they are doing great job and they have skills pretty much and a lot of knowledge.
3: And what do you make of the, um, the graduates that are coming out of the universities there? Is the caliber kind of up to the expectation when you're hiring over there?
2: When it comes to AI, you definitely need to train people. It's because, I mean, okay, you have some open libraries, you have some open systems, whatever, that people can play around, but you keep building new things. So even a graduate, you have to take the time to train them for AI development. So it's, I guess it's the same in, I don't have developers in London, so I don't know. I, when you have experienced developers in Montreal, it's straight to the point, straight straight away, you go to production. For graduates, yes, you have the tech, to take the time to train them. And that's why they give research money, to make sure that you take new people and you train them for the next phase. Mm -hmm. Because skills-wise, we have not enough people.
3: I I, I guess that um, a lot of graduates that are working or rather studying towards a career in AI might never even think about working in the specific type of AI that, that you're working on. Could you maybe kind of start from the top and tell us a little bit about what it is that Winning Minds AI is doing and what makes it so different in its approach?
2: Okay, so in a, in a nutshell, Winning Minds does conversation analytics to uh, optimize performance, uh, process performance, actually. So you can we measure the interactions and the quality of dialogue between people to figure out uh, where is the most effective collaboration, let's put it like that. So the idea started from the real-life scenario. Uh, All processes are very um, mechanic. Uh, They are very static and solid when it comes to like, okay, one, two, three steps, but they don't involve the human element at all. But when it comes to the actual decisions, you have interactions with people and uh, decision-making among people. So nobody was measuring that aspect. And therefore, I mean, even from market data, you have 900 billion losses in productivity because everybody implements new systems and processes, but nothing works. And the reason is because of the human element. So we thought, okay, we should tap into that field and figure out Uh, how we also improve specifically the behavioural aspect of the performance, of the process. And uh, we realised that you don't know where to start from when it comes to variables. Human communication is extremely massive, it's vague. The amount of data you have are millions and millions per second. And then the current situation in uh, AI, it wasn't the most appropriate way to be able to focus on the right variables. And we had to start doing research and figuring out, you know, how do we go to the next stage, which is the reasoning AI, how you can focus on the right parts of the discussion of all the variables, and how you can pretty much understand the know and how behind your assumptions.
0: So I want to unpack this a bit. So what we're saying is Winning Minds AI listens to conversations, let's say in a meeting, analyzes several variables and we can kind of get onto or all several looks for several kind of data points. But it's fun to be listening into conversations, seeing how people interact, and then from the data it collects, giving people or or giving decision makers information they can use to to influence how teams interact, hiring decisions, that sort of thing. Exactly. So could you give an example of of the kind of data it collects and how that could be used to inform decision making?
2: Yeah, sure. So we try to link the whole uh, approach with a process, because it's all about process optimization and business efficiency. So we take one process, let's say call senders, and we analyze the uh, uh, phone calls between the sales agent and the customer. And during that call, we try to go beyond the statistic, um, uh, st- statistical business metrics, like the duration of the call or how many phone calls this agent did per day and so on. And we try to figure what was the behavioral the behavior at the critical moment that shifted the outcome. So, for example, when the agent is tired, then it has cognitive overload, then it has a very specific way that interacts with the the customer. And by identifying that part, you know how to uh, do workforce allocation. You know that you should give, for example, to this agent uh, 10 jobs or 5 jobs, which means customers and you balance the cognitive load and the uh, efficiency of the agent. We do it by um, uh, finding the patterns during the interaction. So for example, fatigue can be, uh, depending on the context, it's really important to understand that different situations, you can have cognitive overload demonstrated in a different way. So it can be shown by uh, short sentences and interruptions and uh, very um, uh, fast speed rate, for example. Uh, and then we have the interaction from the customer, figuring out how it responds to the cognitive overload, let's say, of the agent. And you can start seeing the disengagement of the customer second by second. And this is where we find, like, okay, this is this is the whole, let's say, description, the whole pattern of behavior analytics in a row. It's the whole package is cognitive overload.
0: It's really interesting that you can detect that. And, and I suppose that there are maybe two components to the platform then. There is... It sounds like really advanced speech recognition, and not just speech, but sort of behavioral recognition, I suppose, mm-hmm. through audio. And then you obviously have the AI, which is being trained on that information to deliver those insights. So you're building two quite sort of different and sort of quite specialized pieces of technology. So do you have sort of two teams kind of working on that sort of separately, or how do, how do those two things? How are those two things built side by side?
2: Correct. So going back to the discussion about how many variables you have and which one to to choose, we had to build a new toolkit. That we had to start from the low-level features, so instead of going and say, okay, this customer is angry, for example, we go to the very low-level behavioral aspect of the uh, tonality, of the intonation, of the timber and and then we combine with the words as well. So that was a new tool, uh, toolkit, starting from scratch, and then. The combinations and the uh, analytics will give you the second layer of the AI algorithms. Now, it is pretty much the same team because they have to understand how to link the low-level features to the high-level features, Mm. and uh, it's not wise to separate them.
1: This this is really fascinating to me because as humans, we're quite adept at understanding body language or non-spoken cues, but we're not actually too good at understanding actually spoken, (laughs) spoken cues. And we are also really good at hiding that. So we have things like sarcasm where we can hide certain ways that we're things that we're feeling. So are, are you essentially saying that what you've got is something that can analyze those patterns and give us a bit more information on spoken communication, like our understanding of other types of communication? Yes,
2: exactly. Uh, so we try to codify, codify the, and codify the human interaction. So it's not about stealing the other people's thought. It's about understanding, you know, where something has been, had the successful or a negative outcome. And yeah. especially for the process optimization. So yes, you can find more and more. In reality, we give lots of cues about our cognitive and emotional state when we talk anyway. Yeah. And so by having This low level analytics, you can even touch into that, you know, tap into that deep, dark aspect (laughs) of the (laughs) communication, yes. Yeah.
3: I was going to ask how you go about training um, this algorithm. Because I would imagine that, I'm assuming that there's uh, large audio data sets, so the the call center example is a perfect one because, you know, they're going to be recording lots and lots and lots of calls, so you've got that data there. but I would imagine that that's also fairly specific training for that environment, right? You yes. know, sales calls or uh, sales meetings in another environment or other calls. Like, Let's say you were going to do um, an, al- an analysis of like Samaritan's calls or something where yep. you're stopping, where somebody's mediating and trying to stop someone from maybe harming themselves or something like that. It's going to be a very, very different environment. So... Have you found some kind of repository of audio data that you can draw on uh, that makes this agnostic, or is it very much acute to each um, use case?
2: Well, that's the whole point of the reasoning AI, to be Mm -hmm. able in the future to start understanding the context and decide itself what should I do now Uh in terms of the analytics. Now, when it comes to our uh, training, at the beginning for the first two years, we used seven psychologists to annotate uh, thousands of hours of communication in different contexts so we're able to identify uh, some general patterns, generic part patterns, behavioral ones. And then we started working with customers, we took the data and you have to have a comparison because what's happening in, 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 in science, most of the um, most of the findings have been done in either active trained data through actors and so on, so they are not real.
3: Sure. And yeah.
2: the other thing is they haven't been bridged to the industry level application. So we also have to trust the AI to give us the patterns and say this is how it's demonstrated. So you have to use a balance between science and technology to get to the right, uh, to the right cues.
0: And building on, on Amy's part about language, I suppose culture plays another role in this, too, in that, as we were talking before the show, that there, there are different ways that cultures use voices and different pitches that are used to communicate different things. As, how has that impacted um, some of the reasoning and, and the analysis?
2: Yeah, so one thing is we work in business context and pretty much they are around the world standard. Like, okay, you definitely mm. have the culture, like you can be direct or more patient or whatever. But again, because we uh, follow the journey of the discussion every second for the whole pretty much conversation, you are able to find what really happened that, you know, we try to find the, the behavioral around the event that changed the outcome that right, created. Okay. So the culture, if, if, for example, somebody has been too direct to a customer or to a patient, depending on the situation, the context, then you will have uh, the uh, equivalent response. Uh, you know, it doesn't change whatever is the culture.
0: Because right. you're, you're, you're analyzing both sides. It's not simply the delivery, but it's yes. just the response, yes. right? So yes. you could detect the same moment of, of elation or like you say, um, um, rejection and you can detect that moment and it's just looking what is consistently that trigger.
2: Yes, exactly, and in that way, we try to not create biased data sets because by focusing on the moment and the situation around that, the the, the environment, then you don't label a person. You just say, you know, this moment, this is what created at the end, and if you want to train somebody, make sure that you don't have the situation again.
3: Can you give an example of that, something that you might have seen? Um, with a client that you're working with maybe?
2: Yes, I mean, because we work on personal, on, on behavioral episodes. So we don't do personality traits. We don't say if somebody's an extrovert or an introvert in a phone call or a counselling or uh, in during government discussions or in whatever the context. By going to the episode, you say, okay, this what happened, let's say somebody, the, situ- the moment was direct. We don't care about the person. We're not here to say this person is extrovert or introvert. This moment was direct and this was the uh, you know, cause and effect to the rest of the, uh, of the situation, of the, uh, of the discussion. And that was a trigger, that was a stimuli and so on. So you take that package of uh, analytics and you focus on that. So that's pretty much the example, if it makes sense. Sure.
3: So, um, so I'm in a job interview yeah. and uh, somebody asks me a question. The interview has been going fantastic up to that point. And um, at some point, someone asked me a question, and I start rushing my answer.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: from that point onwards, the the whole kind of tilt of the interview goes badly.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Are you saying that um, the inferences that your algorithm will draw are around that specific um, interaction, that yes. that change point, yes. that change event, rather? And then the the kind of cascade of, se- of, of sequence of events after that, that's kind of what it will draw on. Yes. Rather than casting an aspersion on the person.
2: If, if you yeah, work okay. on the abstract level of the current situation right now, you will just get a report saying the, uh, the interview was a negative one, right? The, sure, the, yeah. the uh, candidate wasn't a good fit. But if you follow the discussion, you will see, okay, what triggered? Maybe it was anxiety and that changed the whole situation. But again, you will check the words. So the words, do they have a, a consistency? Do they have a repetition? Uh, And how, I mean, after that moment that broke the whole state of the interview, it was full of stress, it was full of um, uh, negativity. The interviewer actually contributed to that as well? Yeah, yes.
1: Yes. I think this has a lot of really interesting implications for hiring in the sense of like really great feedback for the interviewer and the interviewee it's a mm-hmm. lot more transparent because i know the most frustrating thing going for a job interview is not getting the job and the feedback is you just weren't the right fit yes and this is this is giving a bit more information this is saying well actually th- there was this one topic that we really felt you stumbled over or like it was clear that you weren't knowledgeable because your speech pattern was such and such a way um like that. That seems like really valuable information that people it's, will use, it, and it kind of brings, like, it changes the game in terms of the skill level you'll need to go into an
2: interview. Just yes, it. It's all about giving the uh, explaining reasoning. You know, yeah. the um, the know and and the, the the why and how something happened. Yeah, which gives you the power to change if you want.
3: You mentioned a second ago that um, the words that you used uh, are really important. I was going to ask you about vocabulary and what kind of role that plays.
2: Sure. I mean, again, we have the semantic uh, analysis of the words that we use and all the correlations around that. So in combination with the audio, with the acoustic features, you get a, a fusion, as we say in technology, you get a combined uh, demonstrated behavior at the end. Okay. So you can capture, for example, passive aggressive behavior, because if you only take the words, it's going to be a nice one. But if you sure, take the intonation, yeah. it's going to be a very mm-hmm. negative one. Yeah, so there's a layer there. only by having this fusion, you can get to more, let's say, more complex behavioral indicators.
3: So how would, hmm, I, I know that we, we've spoken about how this could um, potentially be used in a, a meeting environment previously. Um, how does it calibrate for, for group dynamics? Because that's really where a lot of the power of this comes in. There's some very complex things that happen when multiple people are communicating together. Um, you know, you mentioned the passive-aggressive thing. I'm thinking of things like influence, things yep. like corralling opinion, or mm-hmm. maybe even uh, you know being dismissive of one person in a room, and things like that. Can it pick up on those kind of nuances as well, or is it more on a sort of single-person basis?
2: No, we try to do the multi-speaker analysis as well. So we try to identify the different speakers in the uh, room. Sure. Um, again, that requires lots of uh, AI development Mm -hmm. for the next 12 months uh, for everybody yes it's complicated (laughs) many many things can go wrong for the audio quality at the end so you can have better results it's it's better if you depending on the situation is better when you have a team and you follow this team in the uh, different conversations because this is where you get the insights so yes you can get who is left behind you can even get the repetition of topics you can even get knowledge diversity how fast do we change the topics? Mm. where do we, where we are in terms of uh, knowledge diversity uh, you know like uh, are we close to the solution? are we too much in the analysis, paralysis and so on so we can get this part yes
0: so we've talked about how certain sort of inputs or, or um, communication signals can re- can result in certain outcomes, so disengagement, for example, but one of the things we, we talked about before is you you're able to map laughter in a meeting with the creative output of a meeting or yes. how likely it is to be creative. So you're talking about two very um, almost, maybe not laughter, but creativity is a really complex outcome. So how do you measure things like that? How do you draw those conclusions?
2: Uh, well, we, you need to have the outcome of any process, any discussion, in order to make the AI specific. To the goal, it's important. Uh, So, if the meeting was about creativity, for example, uh, we will see a number of combination of analytics. Laughter is one thing. Then the team has a good feeling around that. Then you will check other aspects of the uh, um, um, overtalk, the overlap, as we say. You know, the duration between poses. For example, a longer post can show reflection as well, which is really important for the creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, interruptions shows the opposite, then the topic changes and so on. So if you take all of that, and that's why we do the analytics per second of the discussion, you get at the end, like that was a good meeting that had at the end a successful outcome because we know that from the customer, you know, before we train the data, then you keep training. And then when you have a trained data set, you have any brainstorming, design thinking, workshop, whatever. And depending on the interactions, you are able to say, you know something, it doesn't seem that you're you, will, you are going to reach any goal in the next three meetings because the dynamics are not in the right shape. Without saying you need that formula. There's no formula in anything, right? You don't say you need 10% laughter and 20% of overlap to be a good team. Mm. But you get the sense. At the end of the day, it's a gut feeling we quantify that part. You know, if something will go right or wrong, we just don't know where and how.
0: I guess if you're training an AI, then is the idea that enough people's gut feelings will aggregate out to be reliable? Because if you're sort of training AI on, yeah, that feeling went well. Because I, you know, maybe I can I can have a feeling of that feeling went well, but that might be to do with being in a room of people I, I, whose company I enjoy versus the actual kind of creative outcome. Exactly. But if you do it enough times, that is reliable enough a data set to train an AI on.
2: Is yes, that, yes, yes, I'm yes. Sure. Before you train it, yes. And then afterwards, when you have a trained data set, you can really say, yeah, you have a good feeling about your team, but sure, you don't achieve anything, you know. Right, exactly, <laughs> so, exactly, yeah, <laughs> When right. you have that, uh, <laughs> I wonder
1: how commonly that happens. <laughs> I just wanted to return slightly back to personality because I find this really fascinating about what you're doing. Um, cause you're essentially taking the, the five traditional personality characteristics, the, um, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And you've, you're kind of, you, you've just washed those away, yes, right? They're, they're outdated. Yes. Um, and I, I find it really interesting because as someone who's been through many of these personality tests before, it is quite, um, It can be quite disengaging when you just get slapped with this label of this is how you are. And you guys have kind of added in this complex layer of, well, actually, you're a different person in different scenarios. So can you talk a little bit more about the research you're doing on emotional intelligence and personality and just understanding that people are a bit more
2: complex than we've given them credit for? So one thing I find not very effective as a scientist is the labeling is not helpful for anyone especially sure. because you don't know where it's coming from like how i demonstrate i'm an extrovert only because i talk too much or i'm loud you know you don't get yeah. the sense exactly where you you demonstrate it and the second thing is uh, all these tests it's i mean there are many tests out there that they're not reliable anymore we know from a scientific perspective mm-hmm. that they are outdated you know so uh, you you don't want them when it, it's it's more and then, they, sorry, they take that part and they, they try to say, okay, how do you optimize something? How do you become better? By, change, by adapting this habit. So they take you from the label to the uh, habit, mm. which is a massive leap for the human brain. Okay, so you need to understand how I demonstrate my behavior, okay, my, my skill, whatever. So you need to know these low-level features, what we do. In the context, it's important because I can be extrovert here, but in another meeting with investors whatever, it can be super introvert or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the other part is you need to have this link between the appropriate behavior that cultivates the habit. So you need to have this understanding, this reasoning again, that's why AI reasoning, to actually make the change. Mm. So that's why we don't take personality traits and change of habits in our process. We take uh, behavioral episodes and appropriate behavior that is linked to an an action.
3: In your experience, um, I'm sure that you've listened to thousands of hours of uh, audio in, in, in the business that you're in. So how often do you find that there are inferences that the AI draws which are very much contradictory to what you yourself would have perceived otherwise?
2: There are. Cases. Uh, I'm a little bit now kind of biased because I just follow the flow of the data, and I think I start sure. thinking like or the other way around. We both think the same way, me and the AI and the team and the AI. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, but we've seen it with uh, customers that the AI had a very different result, and the customer was like, um, "No, this didn't happen." And then, <laughs> and then you have the, the good thing is that you have always you have somebody else in the room. And then you sure. have a voice saying, oh, my God, somebody else says that, the truth, finally, which is the AI. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so you do have cases where the um, perception is very different from the uh, data.
1: I guess that makes sense, though, because yes. the perception is going to be based on an emotion and that will vary within every human. But the AI is taking like a learned, something it's learned from processing thousands of hours of data mm-hmm. and
2: and so it's going to be given it doesn't have the emotional element no it doesn't it's it's pure mathematics at the end of the day yeah it's not always good or bad you know it's yeah. just the way it's, that the ai works yeah
3: yeah also it's going to be trained to see through bullshit
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know because,
3: because the, and, you know let's think about you know your your if there is such a thing, a typical meeting with ten people in yes. there, there's going to be certain people who they never are say a word, very very good yes. at giving the impression yes. that they are contributing to a meeting. There are going to be other people that never say a thing and actually have a hell of a lot of value to to offer, or that uh, you know they say very little but they actually get a lot of meaning across. So yeah, I can, I can imagine that, you know, those two characters in a meeting, one might be thinking of the other flipping heck, like this guy's talking crap, mm. but, um, you know, but no one ever sees that because they're very, they're very good at pretending to be, yes. uh, you know, contributors. It's,
2: it's really interesting because at the end of the day, what we've seen is down to the culture of the business. Right. Uh, right. there are cases that, you know, the meeting is, has just the wrong shape right you have far too many people um, half of them they don't talk the other half they keep repeating themselves or whatever but the the tool is not here to catch the bad guy the tool is here to say you know you want to you are a good team do you want to become a better team you know do you want to become sure. a better company and so on so yes we can focus on that and say you know sorry bad culture or you can focus and say you know something you can do better Mm. But okay. it has to do with the culture of the business, if people want to change or not. Yeah. Or if they think it's a big brother situation or...
3: And yeah, I guess that's like a, yes. a real thing as well, yeah. right? You know, that it is quite a... Um, it, it's a lot for, for a company to to sort of think about being recorded in all of their interactions. You know, you're talking about a lot of analysis. But it's the, the power of that analysis that gives you the, the productivity of the system at the end of it, right?
2: At the end of the day, it's the only part of the business analytics that haven't been measured yet, mm. right? Yeah. We have everything mm. else being measured, how, many, how much space we occupy, how many hours we sit on a chair, whatever, but nothing around how we communicate and that affects the outcome of whatever we do.
3: It's crazy when you put it like that. Uh, and yeah. it's the most
2: valuable one because if we say about human capital, at the end of the day, everything is human-based, not mm. the other way around.
0: So, uh, yeah, I just want to talk about it from from, a, from your customer's mm-hmm. perspective. So when they engage with Winning Minds, what do... So the, you, you analyze some some conversations, some, some phone calls. Um, what do they then receive in terms of a sort of a, a data packet or a piece of analysis? What do you going kind to of give them and what do you work through with them?
2: Um, we give them the what we say internally, the high level indicators, which pretty much are the tangible ones for them. It means nothing if they have like, uh, you know, the uh, intonation or the speed rate. Uh, So they will get uh, behavior analytics like cognitive overload, like um, anxiety, stress, like uh, um, teamwork, collaboration, uh, these kind of things. And they will see exactly, you know, how was demonstrated and what are the dynamics of the team. Or any kind of party that involves in a, in a process. So that will get the report. Like
1: yeah.
2: and, and usually we try to focus on something specific because you try to to take one step after the other and say, what's the biggest, let's say, um, barrier of your revenue leakage mitigation? these kind of things. You know, uh, let's say, okay, you have tired. Uh, uh, um, agents, okay, that's the biggest thing that you have. And then you start fixing the rest. Mm. So we go step by step.
0: It's interesting. If you can detect things like um, burnout, things like stress, it, also, it, it, it sounds like you have a really interesting line in communicating with HR teams too. Mm-hmm. Because I guess one of the problems with HR as a practice is it's often reactive. You know, I, I observe a problem or someone comes to me with a problem and I then fix it. But actually what you're saying is you're able to detect these signs really early on with really interesting data so actually it sounds like you know not just sort of business decision making but also you know human resource as something that is more quantifiable like other kinds of resources Uh,
2: yes you you try just try to put the human element element back to the context right Mm. and give the describe the the environment the situation Uh, Not all problems have been solved yet. We have a long way in front of us as businesses and as fields of AI and science and everything. Mm. So step by step. But uh, yes, we get interesting insights. Let's put it like that.
3: Um, I've got some use cases that I'm going to (laughs) throw out.
2: Okay, here we go. (laughs) Don't make me the bad guy here. No, no,
3: no. no. (laughs) I'd I'd love you to uh, either, you know... Credit me for them when okay, this goes, okay, or okay. shoot them to pieces okay, of okay. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> Should so they keep notes for our business
3: development? <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so um, the interaction between pupils in a classroom and a teacher mm-hmm. so Fascinating. how many pupils are um are learning productively, um, and I guess you would use the the end goal as maybe test scores or some other form of performance, you could talk about the class size, you could talk about how many teachers, you could talk about the way in which they are interacting with one another. Has that been something that you've looked into um, at all?
2: Uh, two things. Again, uh, one, uh, there have been theories like how many people you should have in a classroom or or meetings and so on, and they, they have done some statistics. So, they have already good insights on how to design the, the classroom better, let's say. Mm. Uh, the other thing is uh, it's, it's better if we narrow it down and say, instead of saying to the whole classroom and figuring out how its student absorbs the, the knowledge, to go to um, uh, um, like the business schools that they have the uh, discussions around some business topics. Sure. And they try to do the leadership training or this kind of work. So that it will be much more effective. Okay. You don't want to go too chaotic because you don't know where to start. And then you have also all these invisible aspects of the human communication that you can grasp from a student that didn't talk and you have no idea what he ah, understood.
3: Okay, okay. So even, um, I, I see what you mean, because I'm imagining like the body language of a teacher um, is very, very important. And you wouldn't be able to hear whether they were looming over a kid's desk or not. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, we don't have a camera. It's, it's, yeah. We
2: try to make it scalable and sure. less invasive, like audio yeah. is good enough. And there are theories that they say, depending on the context, like in business, uh-huh. uh, plenty of papers that they say body language, yes, it's important, but the majority of the message is conveyed through the uh, audio. interesting. Oh, interesting. Oh, really? say, yeah. It seems
0: like a logical extension mm. to move into a... a a, a camera system where you'd be able to detect things like language and body language
2: again the whole especially when they say 70% body language and whatever again there are papers that they prove this theory just wrong Mm, interesting just a myth like exactly there's no ratio depends on the context
3: yeah I mean at the end of the day you can imagine that there are going to be certain like emotional things that we would have had to convey the idea of before the invention of language but there will also be lots of uh, I guess, high society, uh, intellectual concepts that only came about after the invention of language. And so require language as a framework with which to convey an idea. Well, so in, in, in those instances, it's quite likely that your words are going to be way more, um, useful than your body language. Even mm-hmm. just
1: something like the, te- like the invention of the telephone. Mm. or like a podcast, it's all, and there's no body language involved in that. Yeah. So yes. yeah, in that case, everything is coming from the eye. Apart from uh, handshaking, depending on the culture. Sure, yeah, It's going to be too much
2: that of that. Um, there is, um, I will just be off the topic a little bit as a, a biologist. Uh, there is this theory of mind, if you heard about, uh, pretty much the human brain, each, each person tries to uh, understand what you have in your mind. And therefore, we do the interaction based on that. I, try to, I say something, try to guess what you have in your mind, how you perceive it, and then I will just you know, respond <laughs> response based on that. So in, an, in one way, communication is based on that, and we try to do that. This is why we do the, uh, um, the multi-speaker. You need to find the mm. triggers and the uh, interaction. On the other hand, from a neurobiology perspective, you know that even the human brain cannot really guess 100% the other person because that will be the end of our communication, all right? We sure, need yeah. this space to keep having these assumptions and these guesses, keep talking. <sighs> we need the uncertainty. Yes, you need to have these you know, invisible thoughts because otherwise uh, it would be impossible to, to, to work together or live together. I was actually thinking
1: when I was kind of reading up about what, what you were doing at Winning Minds earlier, that it would be so, in, probably not appropriate, but so interesting to have this on like a first date.
2: Everybody's asking about that. <laughs> oh my God. One of the use <laughs> cases I had right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> or divorces. Don't, he, don't, yeah. oh my don't way, know that. Because yeah. <laughs> 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 to me, that's a scenario
1: where two people are pretty much like you're bringing your best self right you're you're I don't want to say people are lying to each other but you're you're in this scenario where you're there that uncertainty is there's such a void of that uncertainty and you're trying to kind of navigate your way through that and it would just be fascinating to look at data on people out on first dates mm. and and what what their language is doing, what they're communicating. Yes,
2: let's say we focus on your best self while you are with somebody. <laughs> you know, we yeah, don't want to stop yeah, yeah. the uh, you know the nature or the uh, or the future of anyone. Yeah. Um, I guess. <laughs> It's not something we have considered, or we will, to be honest. <laughs> I can <laughs> confirm that 100%. No, I will not go through that route because people will just don't like us. Although it will be interesting through an app, you know, let's have a first date. Let's record that and figure out at the yeah, end if we're yeah. going to, uh, you know, have a second one.
3: Well, there some, there I are just had a
2: curiosity. Uh,
3: and
0: The idea of, if um, you come across the idea of thin slicing? Yeah, which is it's basically you take um, people conversing. I suppose what, I suppose Winnie Mice makes this redundant. Effectively, is that you take um, micro moments or micro expressions, let's say, and analyze them for clues about what's really going on in between people and in people's mind that sort of thing. But and the reason you call it thin slicing is that the human mind is incapable of perceiving these subtle um, indicators, let's say. So you need to basically break it down into very small moments and analyze very small moments over long periods of time. So that's being used or that's being applied to look at how married couples communicate and whether or not... there is a future is a bit hard uh harsh but, but um, <laughs> the quality will of the relationship last? that sort of thing um well this is kind of it was in it was in the malcolm gladwell uh, book blink where he was saying sure. there's a marriage counselor who can t- after a few thin slicing sessions can give you a conclusion or, uh, or diagnose whether or not your marriage will last which is terrifying,
1: terrifying. but but, but
0: interestingly interesting. like what you're doing something uh, is not it's not any in terms of the, the purpose of that but in terms of the the analysis and the discipline automating that through AI or, or accelerating that through AI, I suppose. Is it looking at these really hard to, to, hard to analyze bits of, bits of data people can't pick up on?
2: Uh, yes. And th- that's why AI is useful and you cannot do it in, an, in any other way because AI can pick up all the data. The human brain cannot. You mm-hmm. will get uh, perceptions, you will get gut feeling, uh, and you will get your own assumptions, but mm. uh, you will never have the series of uh, of events happening. You will just have your own story of what happened mm. in that date, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we wouldn't go through that route, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, could be interesting, I guess, from a scientific perspective. <laughs>
3: Um, another use case. <laughs>
2: yeah, another one. Something go. good, please.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's unlikely.
3: Yeah. That's, that, that, that says it all. It yeah. says it all about our people. Um, oh, man, I, I, I'm not so confident in this one. We'll give, we'll give it a go anyway. <laughs> oh,
2: no, it's okay. Say so, yeah, everything.
3: Can you, fine. um, could you analyze, uh, the audio from lots and lots and lots of different movies? and give some kind of formula or assertion for what speech patterns make for an engaging movie. Um if you maybe took the the objective to getting a you know a I don't know a 95% plus rating on IMDb or uh, Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Yeah
2: mm-hmm. I think the the metadata are too many in that case you need to know the like how well the movie did to the movies, like to the cinema, you need to know the the corner. Like it was an adventure, it was a drama, it was a comedy. You have to do lots of classification, separation, mm. clustering. Uh, I guess you could. I have no clue actually. You might find some good things. Mm. Um, I suppose
3: the other thing there but is. I don't know. Sorry, yeah. The, the other thing there is that um, the a movie is contrived you're not actually uh, doing natural language Mm -hmm. um, analysis. You do
1: like an improv session.
3: Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're gonna strike off movies. <laughs> that's not a okay. good one. Um, well, okay, so well, for
2: me? Good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, so what, also, what we're saying is that is that this is technology that gives you insights into things you don't know how already have insights to. So we know a lot of the psychological theory about things like what makes an engaging speech. So we know about the rhythms and the music and so on. But we what we don't have is that in a meeting we don't have that visibility to say what well, actually happened here. We can't capture that. Obviously, in a meeting or a speech, you have it on you have it on tape, so you can train people differently. So like that, yes. I suppose that's what we're saying right is that yeah it's, yes. it's more so the date thing and then places where um, people you don't have usual visibility into this is where the analysis is perhaps more potent
2: yes uh, what's happening with with the human direction you cannot control the environment so right. you go to the, your real self the autopilot you cannot really that's why you cannot keep you know the results from the technology because you cannot fake it if somebody fakes it then probably he's the best I don't know, a meditated, controlled person, politician, in any situ- politician yes, <laughs> yeah. even that you can <laughs> test that now. But um, the total BS, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, it, it's for that situation where you need to understand uh, the context and, you know, what really happened to give you that result if you want to become better on something. So in sales or whatever, it's the script. It's one thing, but then it's the direction. And mm. that's why they go back to the processes are read it. You have the script in the sales, fine. You have to follow the, the script and you have to ex- anticipate the objection or the uh, angry customer or whatever. But in reality, nothing goes according to the plan. So you need this adaptability. Mm. And you mm. need to understand what happened during the situation that you know, didn't give you the, the script at the end.
3: Okay, so so that kind of leads me quite nicely onto um, I guess asking you for your your kind of predictions for where this technology might go, Winning Mind specifically, and what are the most exciting parts of uh, the technology map that you're currently working on?
2: Because we're working on the engine of the whole analytics, I think we can have uh, many applications in all these voice uh, devices. Voice commands, chatbots, processes in many, many verticals that they have the human direction from sales to mental health to esports when they play games and figure out the winning strategy of a team, the way they communicate in seconds. All right, okay. uh, We have that in our list, so that's cool. (laughs) 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 Next one. (laughs) We didn't think of that one. (laughs) Um, So I'm thinking that. This is how we want Winning Mind to to be. We're an expert in analyzing and understanding the human direction and giving that insights to the different applications. Uh, but the voice thing is going to be the next thing.
0: Have you, have you thought about using your data to train the AI in its interactions with humans? The other way around. So training Alexa how to be compassionate in a in and that a could be an
2: application. Yes, we don't do it as yeah. a company. It's not our use cases, but you could take this knowledge and transfer it to that field.
0: Mm. Yes, because uh, uh, you, you must be the, the data set you're collecting and how you're analysing it and, and converting it into these interesting insights about human behaviour. must be an incredibly valuable data set when you when you know as you collect more yes. information. Yes. So have you sort of thought about those applications of just the data more so than you know the sort of the um, as it were business service element as yes.
2: well yes yes exactly it's part of our roadmap let's say but again the first 18 months is to focus on build the engine mm. because it has the the platform needs to have all the elements the, to to make sure that you do it in the right way because right way means you have you give relevant results uh, you give meaningful results okay and you give Uh, ethical results as well, because we're talking about human beings. So the whole platform is designed in a way that uh, addresses all these issues for our case. So we have the data management to make sure we have security, anonymization, everything over there, to make sure that we aggregate the right data around the right indicators. And then you need to make sure that you have different verticals, different contexts to have a wide version of AI as much as possible. So you're relevant and then again you have a recommendation system that makes it meaningful because you don't want to go through the trap like stop interrupting the other person like change that habit you should go like this is what happened this is what you're doing you know this is what you can improve sure
3: i really wanted to understand what you were doing around the elections i think you were doing some analysis of political did, audio yes. is that right
2: yes we did we we, we it's, it's a topic that goes around a little bit again internally. We analyzed, should I say, the case?
3: Please do, if you can.
2: Okay, well, we analyzed uh, the whole situation before the Brexit vote and after, what happened in the parliament and some of the discussions that they had, the politicians, some panels. And we um, found some interesting results about the whole behavior, the whole, let's say, uh, linguistic style. Of uh, some of the politicians, depending on the uh, position, how right, they again. sifted, how they changed, how how they tried from the part of let's separate you know each other, from let's unite each other, all these kind of things so it was very interesting yes
3: can you kind of give an idea of what sorts of things you were seeing then?
2: Well we saw the it's the obvious right, to, to be honest you have two parties that they they had different uh, positions on what UK should do on this one and the way that they um, position themselves the way they communicated pretty much the confidence let's say the um, aggressiveness when it comes to like this is what we should do this is the right thing for the country and how after the results this changed completely from the parties like some people were like mad because you know this was the wrong choice or the right choice I don't know depending and some people were like okay, now the tough part is coming. Let's be united again. So mm. from instead of having a position, we'll be like, they started saying apart. They, they were like, you know, they and I, then they shifted to we, for example, and we should do that. Mm. And uh, let's all discuss and let's figure out the problem. While at the beginning was like, you know, they shouldn't do that or this is not right. Never referred to a team concept.
0: Okay. Were, you, were you also detecting a difference in how the two sides communicated before the vote yes could i guess that the leave campaign were using more aggressive and um i don't know what other uh terms to use like getting in trouble but just more more sort of rhetorical confrontational, confrontational <laughs> perfect um rhetorical speak is that fair to say uh,
2: yes okay. yes yes but it's like um part of the politics right this is it's, it's a game they, they play by the rules i assume they know how they talk before or after yeah the situation
3: That was that was wicked. Again, like just thinking about um, all of the different ways that AI is eventually going to be used, and you come across a company like Winning Minds, which is, you know, doing something which seems really, really novel um, with some uh, really interesting use cases. Not that we actually found any of this. shut down, shut down in pretty much every uh, sector (laughs) that we thought of. You know what? I, I know Maria now isn't here to kind of defend this point, but. I still think that schools is going to be a big one. Even if it's not, uh, you know, every single school, I think there will be some kind of higher education higher institutes of higher education rather mm. um where exceptional individuals are put in lots of different circumstances and their audio is analyzed to see where they perform at their best mm. it's kind of like how do you put together the the ultimate like intellectual like hit squad that kind of thing yeah yeah um it just seems like there's too much at stake and such a a massive benefit to getting that right at an early stage in someone's uh, someone's development in their schooling life Um, for this not to have some kind of application there. But she says not yet. Well, it's also
1: like, because right now what they're doing is they're analyzing meetings for uh, kind of being able to understand the productivity and I think it's really important that in the example that you give, we look at schools and we see, like, where are schools falling short? Where are they not delivering what they should be delivering to to pupils? Mm. Um, and again, like I know Maria has very definitively said that this is not something they're working on, and maybe it doesn't fit with the technology. But I, I, I do think it's a really interesting... It's like holding schools accountable and kind of mm. starting to recognize where some schools could potentially be using improvement. Um, yeah, I... I, I, think it's, I think it's a solid use case as a non-professional in that <laughs> yeah. field.
3: I think that, um, you know, it, it's always going to be the most um, commercially lucrative and the most obvious options that drive a technology forward. And then it gets to explore once it has the kind of backing of, uh, of different businesses. Once it's um, generating a lot of revenue, then it gets to kind of expand into different areas. Um, so, you know, the work that um, Maria and her team are doing now, hopefully that kind of forges the way for other and uh, more interesting areas of, uh, of its applications.
1: I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I think it would be hilariously interesting to see on in like in the dating sphere. You know, you go on these dating applications, and it's like, well, this person is known for spouting 96 percent bullshit. Uh, I think that would be highly useful.
0: This is where he lost interest. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. How
1: did that date go? I think it went pretty well. All well, the data says no. <laughs> Computer says you're not getting a second date.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this episode of What Comes Next. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We're trying to get the word out about the show, so if you have time, please share it with friends or leave a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. If you have any questions about what we've discussed on this episode or would like to talk about your own technology on the podcast, then drop us an email. We're at wcn at granttree.co.uk. Thank you very much again. See you next time.